Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is Season 3, Episode 7, Gods, Humans, Aliens, and Ghosts. This will be Part 2 today. Last time we talked about the ancient gods, the Egyptians, Greek, Roman, Norse gods, um, the Blackfeet Indians, and the uh, Apistotoki who created the sky beings, and what the word Elohim means, how it's used to describe God, it's used to describe Samuel's spirit, eat false gods, and it's just a generic term for mighty or powerful. Even uh, it's used to describe thunder and wind in Exodus chapter 9 on the plagues of Egypt. So in my terminology here, whenever we see Elohim in the Old Testament talking about the supernatural, I look at it as just a mere spirit creature, a powerful spirit creature, like they didn't know how to describe it, didn't know what to call it. So there are other words to describe spirit creatures in the Bible. Moloch is messenger. Uh, Ruach means wind or breath of a rational being. And that is in Job 4.15 uses that word. Bain Elohim, the sons of God, one born or bred of the Elohim. That's in Job 1.6. When it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. And that is clearly referring to the angels in heaven around the throne of God. Now, this time we're going to be talking about uh, how demons came about and how that relates to the ancient gods. So, how demons came about. We're not going to talk about the archetypes of Satan. It's a, archetype is in literature. It's a common theme, character, or action, um, such as the serpent in the Garden of Eden is an archetype of Satan. Lucifer is an archetype of one who is selfish and lets pride destroy him. So Isaiah 14 refers to the king of Babylon and named as Lucifer. And it reveals a little bit more about Satan. In verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So keep that in mind. We're going to be talking about that pit later on. And another one is Ezekiel 28 that is talking about the king of Tyre. And it reveals a little bit about this, the evil spirit behind his throne, which was Satan. So while these archetypes, the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon, are not specifically a reference to Satan, they do reveal for us through these archetypes more information about the devil. So that's why I wanted to bring those up, but we're not going to dig too deep into those because that's not where I'm getting the theology from this particular uh, topic on ancient gods. Let's move on to the next thing about the uh, where demons actually come from and, and what happened with Satan. We don't know when God created them, but we know he made them before the six days of creation. If you look at uh, Job 38.1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And verse four says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, angels were happy and amazed at the things God was making during the six days of creation. Now, the demons, what happened to them, same thing as the angels, but Revelation 12 talks about them. They were in heaven until Satan convinced a third of them to rebel against God. Revelation 12, verse 4, And his tail, the dragons, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, if it just stopped there, a lot of people say that that's, they spiritualize that and say it didn't really happen or it's something that happens in the future, or it's not talking about angels and people make stuff up about it. But if you just read the next couple of verses, verse seven, eight, and nine tells you what that means. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So there you go. That's where the demons on the earth come from. In the Bible, they are called demons, evil spirits, princes, stars of heaven, and sons of God. Jesus said himself that these angels of Satan are destined for hell. In Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these angels know their destiny. If you read Matthew 8, 28 through 31, it's very clear that they know that they have a appointed time where they are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus uses the word for devil here, which is daemon or daemonii, which is where we get the word demon. So when we say demon, we're saying devils like Jesus did, which is the angels that have an appointed time to go into the lake of fire, which Jesus, which God cast out of heaven and a third of them are roaming the earth. Daemon actually means supernatural spirit of a bad nature. So it's a supernatural spirit. It's an angel that is evil now, even though they used to be God's messengers up in heaven. All right. Now, here's where it gets interesting. There's a couple references to their offspring. I know it sounds weird, but check this out. They're called giants or Nephilim. If you look at Numbers 1332, when the Jews were coming into the promised land and they sent in the 12 spies and it says all the people that we saw in that land are men of a great stature, Numbers 13.33, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which was a race of people, a line of people, which come from the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. So there's this ancient people that came from a certain line, a certain family of Anak, and his family descended from the giants. Now, then another term, and that's Nephil. It's where we get the term Nephilim. Okay. Then there's another term called Raphim or Rapha for giant, which is used 21 times in the Old Testament. And this is in uh, Joshua 13, 12. All the kingdom of Og and Bashan, which reigned in Ashtoreth and in Edra, who remained of the remnant of the giants. For these did Moses smite and cast them out. Now, these giants came from where? 
And this is what it gets down to is Genesis chapter six. And we're going to dig into this a little bit deep here. So pay attention. Genesis six, verse one, maybe pull out your Bible and read some of this. It came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that. He also is flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So let's dig into that a little bit and see what these giants and mighty men are. Okay. So the idea here is that demons had sex with humans. It said, took them wives. Wives is the word Ishash Nashim. And that is feminine plural means women or adulteress or every female. It's used in the same sense as Enoshi. And that means mortal. So they took them, not wives is not the actual word. The actual word is they took them many women, many mortals. Why is that word? See, because the sons of God were not mortal. They're angels. And they bear children by them. So that's the concept of sex, which may be why the translators in the English time period, when they translated this, used the word wives instead of adulteresses or many mortal females. They translated the word wives because these things were having sex with women and, and sex meant husband and wife in those days in the 1600s when they were translating this into English. Okay. Now, this created the giants, where it said they, they had giants in those days. The Nephil, that's again where we get the word Nephilim. The word mighty men is Gibor, which is powerful champion or giant. And the words of old is Olam, which means concealed, the vanishing point outside of time or eternity. And men of renown is Sham or shame. Men of definite and conspicuous position, famous people known over the world. What this actually says, if you translate straight from the Hebrew, instead of making up these nice sounding words like wives, it's the sons of God, the angels saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them mortals of whichever one they wanted. And there were giants in those days when the angels came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became powerful, gigantic men of the vanishing outside of time. And they became famous. That's what that means. These beings had children that were not normal humans. That's where you get the ideas of the gods. Think of people like Hercules or I don't know, any other number of 
ancient gods and, and sons of gods and Thor and all of their children and all the different mythologies that you hear. Well, here's another interesting point, and here's where I only have one Bible verse to share with on this point, so a lot of this is my opinion. It stands to reason that these demons, these angels, had sex with other creatures, not just humans. If they did that with fish, the result would be half human, half fish, maybe a mermaid. Horses would be centaurs. Goats would be the satyr, the goat with the hind legs, with the ears and horns of a goat, but the human upper body and face. Here's why I say that. This is very interesting. Leviticus 17.7. So this is after Genesis. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So we're talking hundreds of years later. Leviticus 17.7. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. That was a law made for the Jews. Do not offer sacrifices unto devils. It's very interesting when you look at the Hebrew word for devils there. That's a poor translation in my opinion. It's not devils. It's sair or sawer, which means shaggy, a he-goat, or a satyr. Half goat, half human. So what it really says is, they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto the satyr. It begs the question, what type of creatures are these? And it was well known enough that God had to make a law that you don't worship this half man, half goat. And of course, again, in English, our modern day translation, we just translated it into devils because we didn't like this idea of maybe there were some sort of like half magical creatures that come from Genesis 6. Now, here's the interesting thing. All the cultures in all the continents of the world that speak of these types of magical beings have these things in common. These beings were born of the gods. Usually they're half human and half creature. They have powers beyond mere humans and they vanish. They're hard to find. What's that word from Genesis 6? Men of old, men of the vanishing outside of time. They can appear and disappear. Hmm. We currently in this modern age have legends of mermaids in Haiti or in various cultures, elves that have power over nature. People like Hercules, the son of Zeus, who have great feats of strength, right? And then there are many cultures that talk about beings who have power over the elements like wind, fire, ice, etc. And of course, the mythologies of a race of giants or in Norse mythology, the frost giant. So my point in all of this is simply that there is an element of truth to all of these pagan gods. And it comes from Genesis chapter six. Now, how do we know that they had sex with human beings and possibly with animals? Because God judged those demons and changed them in Tartarus, in hell, on the sides of the bottomless pit. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, that's the Greek word Tartaru, this is the only place it is ever used. It is a unique place in hell. He cast them down to Tartaru and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. 
Notice that this was obviously a well-known point of theology at the time that Second Peter was written, because he said, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, he's not even explaining it. He's saying, you all know that God did this. And if he did this, then. So this idea that there are certain angels that did a terrible sin that are chained in darkness right now was a well-known point of theology in the time of Christ. What special sin caused them to be chained up? And here's the answer and the reference from the Bible. Sex with those who were not their kind. Strange flesh. Go back to Genesis 1. Each animal God created after their own kind and they gave birth to their own kind, right? Strange flesh is ones who are not your kind. Jude, verse 6 and 7. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. So even as he's saying these angels did the same thing that these people did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Continuing in verse 7, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. And Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, there's two main disputes where people will argue with me and say, no, 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 that's not true. Let me cover those very briefly. First of all, in Genesis 6, when it talks about the sons of God, sleeping with the daughters of, of men, right? People will say, well, angels can't have sex with humans because they don't have sex. Matthew twenty two thirty, Jesus himself said, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So th there's a whole parable there. He's talking about human beings are going to be like the angels of God in heaven where you're not given in marriage, right? Well, first of all, this fails to account for the fact that the demons are not in heaven. They're not in that perfect place. They are not good angels anymore. So they don't follow the laws of God. Marriage is a union recognized and instituted by God in the garden for the earth. Okay. Sex with demons is not marriage. It is not holy. It is not instituted by God. It is not a union of two like kinds and it is not recognized by God as righteous. So to say that one verse, the angels aren't given in marriage in heaven is proof that angels, demons here on earth don't have sex is not proof of that. Okay. We're not talking about God's perfect angels in heaven. We're talking about demons who don't do what God tells them to do who are down on earth. So that's kind of a faulty argument. All right. The other argument that people say to, that Genesis 6 is not referring to angels is they say that sons of God refers to mankind. The godly children of Seth are the sons of God. Well, first of all, this is pure fantasy. It's nowhere stated anywhere in the Bible. All right. So people just make that up. But secondly, the principle of first mention context of the scripture in Genesis chapter six, you see the principle of first mention is a guideline used in hermeneutics, which is stu the study of the scriptures. It says that to understand a particular word or doctrine, 
you must find the first place in the Bible that that word or phrase is used and study that passage. See, the reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation. Doctrines and beliefs are then more fully developed based on that foundation. So to fully understand an important theological concept, you should start with the place it's first mentioned. Well, this sons of God is first mentioned in Genesis 6, 2 and 6, 4, talking about angels and their offspring being these magical creatures outside of time that everyone is, is well known of and giants. Then the other two places or three places it's mentioned is Job 1, 6, Job 2, 1, and Job 38, 7. Every one of those times it is clearly referencing angels. That's it in the Old Testament. And, and every one of those places, it's the words Bain Elohim, the sons of the spirit, the mighty. Now, much later during the time of Moses in Deuteronomy 4.1, it mentions the sons of Jehovah God as the holy people of Israel. And that's where God introduces the concept that humans can become like a son to Jehovah. But it's not Bain Elohim. It's Bain Jehovah. And that concept becomes a theme of the New Testament for any believer in the future that we can be adopted by God because of Jesus Christ. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, that's that's a different word. That's technon theos. It is not Bain Elohim. And it says that we have the power to become. Humans are not sons of God. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into his family. So sons of God, Bain Elohim in Genesis 6, is not humans. It is clearly angels. The fact that it was revealed in the New Testament that we can become sons of God and that it takes the spiritual power of God to do it. And in 1 John 3, he says that we don't know what form it will take when it happens is further proof that it was never a term meant for normal humans. So the theology that the Bible teaches is before Noah, demons took women, had sex with them, and had fanciful offspring (laughs) that who knows what mythology came from. But these offspring were famous, mighty, powerful, vanishing outside of time, and giants. That's what the Bible says. Now, what you take from that, that's on you. But my belief is that all of the mythology that we have covered so far about ancient gods stems from that. And that is why God destroyed the earth with a flood. And that is why only Noah and his three sons and their wives survived. And I believe that one of those wives and this is, this is just speculation, okay? I believe that one of those wives was a descendant of one of these demons. And she had DNA in her that her offspring became giants, the sons of Anak, that came from the Nephilim, which is what the Bible says. The sons of Anak that came from these giants. And I believe that that strain 
passed through the flood and survived. And some people, you'll notice if you study the history of the Jews, that the last remaining giants, descendants of the giants, lived in Gath. And Goliath was one of the last. You got to take the Bible as a whole, people. You can't pick and choose which parts you believe. And I, for one, think that that is fascinating and an excellent explanation for the ancient mythologies of the ancient gods. Now, I'm going to give you some more specifics, how angels look next time and how the ancient gods looked and which gods are potentially which angels that the Bible talks about. There's a lot of cool stuff about how angels actually appear in their true form. So thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you all. And that would be it, guys. Have a great day.